kind enough to join us this morning. Good friend of ours, contributor to the show. It's Dr. Mark Casal from Kent State University, professor of political science, and appreciate him taking time to join us. And as we've been talking about this morning through different avenues and different guests, it is the 22nd unfortunate anniversary of 9-11. 3,000 Americans lost their life that day. World Trade Center attacked the buildings 846, 903, Pentagon at 937, and in Shanksville and Somerset, Pennsylvania, that plane went down at 10.03. Al-Qaeda took responsibility, as many of you know by now, with the 9-11 attacks here in the United States. But politically, from 2001 to 2023 is where I wanted to go with Dr. Mark Casal this morning. And Mark, thanks for joining us. And I guess, first of all, let's go back to 2001 and in that political arena how did the rest of the world and i know you know a lot about that middle eastern part but how did the world look at those attacks on the united states 22 years ago yeah right thanks for having me on the show you know i i think one of the things that's sort of remarkable about 9-11 is that anyone there was a survey done um of americans who were born who were at least four years old uh at during 9-11 and nearly 90% of them remember where they were during those attacks. And I certainly do. I was in the political science department at Kent State University just watching with disbelief um, as the World Trade Center was coming down. And it was really, um, even to this day, I just think about just the shock that everyone in my department and I were facing and feeling. Um, but, you know, I think at the same time, um, you know, it was a, were a kind of a remarkable moment for a variety of reasons, as you point out. You know, our view of terrorism at the time um, was, was in some ways very simple. Um, you know, we, uh, I think, um, President George Bush at the time described, you know, the United States being attacked by evildoers motivated largely by their anger uh, that we were sort of this Christian nation that valued freedom and democracy. And because we had a strong military and a successful economy, we were, we were attacked. And in the wake of 9-11, it was, a, it was a very heady time for the United States. Uh, it was a moment, really, where nearly every country in the world, including, frankly, uh, China and Russia, um, were really in support of the United States and sympathetic uh, to what we had just experienced and, and willing to, to sort of support the United States in its efforts to, to sort of fight al-Qaeda and others. And it was also a time when both Democrats and Republicans really came together in support not just of the Bush administration, but also of the federal government more generally and government more generally. You know, you had at that time 80 percent of adults right after 9-11, 80 percent of adults were uh, displaying American flags outside uh, their homes um, or on cars and other places. And it was really a time where, you know, it seemed like everyone was sort of coming together in support of the United States and, and our effort. And um, and so that was a very unusual time, um, and I would argue, you know, uh, uh, um, a, a, a lost opportunity in many respects because that pe- that patriotic dividend was largely squandered for a variety of reasons that we can talk about. But it was a very heady time for America. Well, this is Dr. Marcus Kent State University, and we we talked to, and you expanded there globally on how the world looked at that 9/11 attack. How did the world look at the United States, let's say in 2001, compared now to 2023? And 
Back in the early 2000s, Mark, people wanted us to be the global police. At least a lot of countries did. What about in 2023? Politically, how is the United States looked at? Yeah. So as I said, I think that patriotic dividend that we had um, was very fleeting. I think there were a number of things that um, eroded that very quickly. Um, The one obvious one globally was the debacle in Iraq, right, in which many international relations scholars now view as among the greatest, if not the greatest, foreign policy mistakes since uh, the Second World War or in the, in the modern era. Um, domestically, uh, we also had sort of the failure of the federal government under the Bush administration uh, to help and plan for the Hurricane Katrina that, you know, led to just massive loss of lives in New Orleans. And, you know, I think, um, you know, obviously since then, um, We've seen some positives, I think. You know, there's no question that al-Qaeda uh, was nothing like it was in 9-11. Um, you know, you've seen its leader, Osama bin Laden, is obviously long dead, but also many of its leadership is long dead. But ideas that al-Qaeda held are still strong in, in lots of parts of the world, Africa, Syria, and others. Um, another thing that's sort of transform, been transformed as a result of 9-11 is we have this vast counter terrorism bureaucracy that's a a legacy of of 9-11, which, you know, means that we've got close to almost uh, 1,200 government entities and and 1,900 private companies focused in some way on on counterterrorism. So, you know, that's a legacy of of 9-11. And I think we've seen today, it's unfortunate, but we've really seen a a, a dramatic shift from an external threat, uh, which was, you know, which, which, which it was for nearly two decades, to an internal one, where we've seen uh, really the number one threat that, um, the number one terrorist threat that America faces is not an external one. It's an internal one. It's the domestic terrorism that we see during January 6th and, um, you know, the many, many, many attacks on uh, religious institutions in the United States on religious groups and and so forth, and and that domestic terrorism has now become our number one threat, unfortunately. Well, this is Dr. Mark Cassell, professor of political science at Kent State University. You and I remember that speech oh so well from President Bush about the war on terror, right? And the rogue yeah. countries, and I know Syria and Pakistan, and some of them were listed. Talk globally right now, Mark, about the rogue countries and do they still exist with terror cells in these terror groups? You know, as I said, I think that al-Qaeda hasn't, certainly hasn't gone away. I think the ideas behind that fueled uh, the hatred toward the United States certainly remains and in some ways has expanded, uh, you know, in other parts of the world. Um, but, you know, one of the things that we, you know, could never have expected uh, in, at nine, during that time uh, so long ago was this, again, this sort of shift to domestic terrorism. And I raise that, uh, Ray, because, you know, you, and you've seen the, um, you know, first of all, terrorism really is really designed to undermine the public's trust in democratic institutions. I think that's one of the important things to remember is that terrorism isn't just about blowing something up. It's also about really shifting the public's attention and, and undermining the public's belief in uh, government and democratic institutions. And, you know, one of the goals is to sow doubts in the population so that a strong man or an authoritarian leader who pro- sort of promises stability is able to sort of take charge. And, you know, we've seen that obviously in 
you know, historically in countries like Germany. We see it now today in Iran. We've seen it in Brazil and Peru, Russia, China, obviously. And it's a common playbook of the 19th century. Um, but, you know, the, America has now become a leader in exporting this kind of belief. I mean, that's what's so tragic is, you know, we're, we're sort of exporting this kind of domestic uh, anti-democratic fascist ideas to other countries in the world. So you've got countries like Germany, Sweden, France, Hungary, you know, traditionally very democratic countries looking to the, um, you know, white supremacist groups and right-wing radical groups in the United States for inspiration. I remember talking to a right-wing uh, um, extremist uh, political party in Germany, and they their inspiration was Donald Trump and the Republican Party. I mean, that's where we are today. And I think the fact that we're sort of exporting these anti-democratic ideas is leaving a bad legacy for the United States going forward. Mark, uh, before I let you go, something that is in the development stage and kind of off the beaten path, but right in your wheelhouse of of area of expertise that I thought maybe I could throw one final question your way is Kim Jong-un is Kim Jong-il from North Korea is on his way in his armored train to Russia to meet with Vladimir Putin. And I was wondering how you look at this development. Yes. I mean, you know, I think going, obviously it's, 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 I mean, obviously we've got rogue nations, um, like North Korea and, and, and certainly Russia and, and China, these are countries that, you know, for a variety, but, in, but who are very different in many respects, but certainly um, are, uh, you know, fueling efforts to confront the United States um, around the world. And that's certainly disconcerting. And I think, but, I, you know, and, and certainly we should be paying attention to any time the leader of North Korea and the leader of Russia get together and start thinking about things. But I also think it's important to sort of recognize that North Korea still is fairly isolated from the rest of the world. Um, you know, it is clearly a country that has nuclear weapons, and so does Russia, and that's something that the United States is very aware of and, and is working against. But I think that fundamentally the things that I think threaten the United States, I think, is less North Korea and is really domestically. It's, again, you know, mm. the, the, the cost of losing faith in our institutions is not something you can just turn around with a new leader. You know, North Korea might be, you know, if, you know, if in the future, hopefully there'll be a new leader of North Korea and that will dramatically change the country. It's not clear to me what we can do today in a short period of time to change uh, a policy such that it instills or reinstills people's faith in elections in democratic institutions that was, has been lost over the last five years. Yeah. That, to me, is really the threat to our democracy and our country. 